Hello, Art Sport community. Kit Harvey here with the latest installment of Art Conversations. For this episode, I sat down with fashion designer Meg Wilcher, owner and founder of Apres Studio and creative director of activewear label New Form Movement. Meg approaches her work for both companies with sustainability and ethics at the forefront of her mind. It's a defining feature of every garment she has a hand in creating. I was keen to find out more about exactly what this means and to hear about how Meg's interest in clothing and fashion was born. No, I think your online (laughs) presence is, um, I mean, that was my first jumping off point into everything that you do, just purely typed Meg Wilcher into Instagram, got led to Apparate Studio, got led to New Form. Really? Um, Just through your bio, like just naturally, organically checked it out that way. And yeah, it was a great little journey of exploration. Like what you're doing on Instagram was immediately engaging, immediately kind of eye-catching. As somebody not from the fashion world, it was sort of, you know, approachable, accessible, Mm. interesting to look at. And kind of, I loved how you, I particularly liked how you use TikTok. Really? I haven't spent that much time on that platform. It's so new to me. Well, Anthony and I have spent, Anthony and I have spent zero time on (laughs) TikTok and we were hoping to pick your brain about maybe little things we could do. I just like how it's, TikTok's funny to me because it's- Me too still. It's like very human. It's like just quietly, almost- quickly superimposing your image over a background talking about it's sort of instantly kind of sweet and funny like yeah almost no matter what you're talking about it feels like brands or people can't be as curated like they're more playful and it's not trying to sell like this dream vision in a way there are certain you could take like a different standpoint but in my eyes it just feels more like you get to have fun it seems like it's fun, at least what I saw, especially of your content, was it was kind of fun. And you're breaking down new looks and new collections and sort of drops that way. Yeah. And it was a cool way to put across information because I thought, like, I don't want to just, like, read this in a, an Instagram bio or whatever it is. Just People seeing, don't have the attention spam for that these days. Anyway, it's too much information. I certainly don't. <laughs> I don't know if... I'm I'm surely not the only one. Anthony and I were talking about this off air, but I'm limping to the line this Christmas. I'm genuinely, I'm knackered. I feel you. We had a, just a mass absenteeism event at work last week with like 10 of our 15 staff just out with sickness and COVID and various things. 10 to 15. Yeah. And so the five of us that remained kind of just had to do what we could. Oh we limited opening hours and that we work in uh, retail atmosphere. So it's kind of hard to tell customers, hey, we're not, we're not open. I know it's really close to Christmas, but we won't be open till a bit later. It's oh always a hard God. conversation you have to have yeah. with social media and followers and that kind of thing. But I feel like COVID take two has come and like struck just before Christmas. So many people were down and out at the moment. How's your lead up to Christmas been? What's it like for you? Oh, it's been a little bit crazy. <laughs> There's been so much going on. We got a new marketing person. We launched a new website. Um, Got a new ads person doing like our paid ads. And we're just trying to integrate all of these together into like the scope of navigating Black Friday sales and Boxing Day sales and 
content creation and then there's a lot of faulty stock that we've discovered got made by a manufacturer who just quickly needed to make something for us out of this leftover fabric we had otherwise it would go to waste and we only found out because we did internal quality control at the warehouse and this is a lot of stuff and um people You're juggling in a few balls lots of balls all the time I feel like that's a um, – you talked about Black Friday sales. You talked about Boxing Day sales and that Christmas time of year. From my perspective and, and our business, it was a small little one-shop operation mm. manufacturing setup in, in Brunswick. We make picture frames. Cool. But, Are you ready-made frames? Yeah, frames ready-made. Oh, I flipped it. <laughs> a lot I've of people do. i about you. Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's, yeah. That's really nice to hear. Oh, nice. We approach Christmas kind of – in a slightly different way or end of year, I should say. We yeah. just shut. We, we close on Christmas. We open on Christmas Eve. We shut Christmas you. Day. We just, it's the only break in the year. We delicately sidestep Boxing Day sales because <laughs> I feel like that's just one level of energy that n- no one on staff has the ability to, to offer at the end of the year. We're just cooked. Yeah. And um, I honestly wouldn't go into a picture framing store and expect them to have a Boxing Day sale. Like, that seems whack to me. I'm extremely pleased to hear you say that, Meg. That's a great thing because- I don't know. You don't go to your restaurant and be like, is my gnocchi half price today? It's boxing day. You know what I mean? You are speaking sense. (laughs) That is all really um, reassuring, to be honest. It's it's hard. Uh, I'm not from a- I guess I'm not from a a traditional business background. I'm from a very much a small business background. Mm. Um, Dad started the business and- you know, I basically just, we run the business together and I take advice from him and I learn lessons from him and what he says and how he puts out, you know, fires and problems. And and I guess I I just wouldn't even know how to do an end of year thing. Like, thank goodness we don't. Right, right. There's <laughs> so, so really much reassured. that goes into it. No, I'm pleased to hear that you um you think that we're doing something that's not like weird or different. I think it's important. Just a rest and recuperation period. Yeah, absolutely. Do you get one? Yeah, I'm taking a bit of time this year. In the past, I've jeopardized a lot of mm, opportunities for fun and put my work first. But this year, I'm going on a really big hike with family and I'm really looking forward to like just putting my phone away. And there's nothing anyone can do about it because I'm going to have no battery or reception. You're telling a very familiar story. You're kind yeah. of describing how I, my relationship with work is a little bit troubling at times. Yeah. I'm sure I'm speaking for Anthony as well, but it can take over. Yeah. Um, sometimes at the at the kind of, you end up sacrificing fun stuff you'd maybe not necessarily rather be doing because I love work and love everything I do in that space. But And it sounds like you do as well, like very mm. much so. And there's a genuine passion there, but I'll tell you what, I've just got to. I think I've just got to go and lie on a beach somewhere for like two or three weeks and just make that work. Yeah. Somehow. Get some defrosting time in. It's been so cold. Just True. go between like the water and then snitzel yourself in the sand and roll back in again. Did you get stuck in that extremely hectic hailstorm about half an hour ago? I genuinely thought I was going to have a dinted car. Oh good i was sitting in the um office looking out in my safe little cocoon doing work still it's supposed to be summer i know 
climate change, baby. Like, yeah, true. Oh, that's a whole nother conversation. We can talk we about are... sustainability on, on on environmental lines for sure. I mean, I, that was part of my plan. I'm just looking through my notes. I'm like, yeah, definitely want to talk about sustainability and environment in fashion for sure. That's We can tick that box early. No, I kind of wanted to... I kind of wanted to start things off, Meg Wiltshire, with Apre Studio because yeah, I right. guess the two major... Get rid of that plane. <laughs> I wanted to hopefully get your titles, descriptions right of about kind of what you do in the in the fashion world. I, I Just correct me if I'm wrong, by the way. Mm. Uh, owner and founder of Apre Studio, creative director at New Form Movement. Yeah. They're two pretty awesome titles. Are you as busy as those titles make it seem? Um, I don't know. Busyness feels subjective. I find it difficult to navigate when I'm working and when I'm not because it's all such a big passion of mine. So I'm on a lot of the time that I should be off and it's all this big amalgamation of love. Um, but I do work quite a lot. But I always find time to move my body every single day because it's really important for me to feel like super solid. Just mentally, I feel really like powerful and grounded when I exercise and sweat. And then like physically able and just like a bit more agile. And I feel like I can put out fires or take on problems or have conversations with people that I need to have all the time from a place of clarity rather than confusion. Um, so I exercise a lot, I work a lot, but I still feel like I carve out enough time for me. I at least spend one day of the weekend where I'm like pretty strict with not even making social plans just because the rest of my week feels rather scheduled some of the time. And I'm not naturally a really routine person, but if I don't have that in place at the moment, then like she will hit the fan. So uh, yeah, Sundays I'm like, everyone fuck off. <laughs> I'm not hanging out with anybody. What does totally checking out on a Sunday actually look like? Is it like streaming services and like lying on the couch with a pet or is it kind of like going for a walk or like what kind of stuff are you doing on a Sunday when it's your time? Oh, I even find it difficult to be restful at times. Be just the kind of personality I have. I'm a pretty dynamic person. I just do maybe some yoga, some kind of movement, go for a walk, try not to be on my phone just because I'd like to have space to think without having other people interject with things. Um, I might go have a sauna. If I want to get some beach time in, I'll go for a surf, go to the beach, enjoy some sun or go for a bit of a bush walk. And I usually just do it all on my own because it feels good. And then if I'm hungry, I'll eat. And I really like cooking. Sunday is a nice day to cook. And it sounds like your your working week's a little bit of a movable feast, but is it typically Monday to Saturday? Yeah, usually. And the hours could be anything. Yeah. The hours could be anything. It was funny. I was going to open up like a pop-up space with a friend on more of a permanent pop-up basis. And then I did a pop-up shop just to kind of test it out, how it all went, how it was received, opening hours, days, blah, blah, blah. And I was like doing up the decals to put on the windows and I was like opening hours. <laughs> Weekdays most of the time and weekends whenever we're feeling like it. I was like, I don't know. We work all the time. We're always going to be here. Whether we're open to you or not feels like something I can't answer at the moment. I feel like the opening <laughs> hours just 
It sounds Forever. like there should just be one big asterisk. You know how sometimes it's like nine to five, ten to six, asterisk, special hours on in the summer or at Christmas. <laughs> Your whole hours just should be an asterisk. We're pretty open. <laughs> that sounds scary to me, but I can definitely relate. You know, you get work-related messages at all hours of the day and night. Right. As somebody who maybe runs a business or manages a business, it's it's one of those things I think that comes part and parcel. Yeah. It's pretty hard. I've learned to set better boundaries now so I can be better for my personal relationships with people, like Definitely. friendships and anything else. And I'm pretty good at engaging with somebody when I'm hanging out with a friend or whatever. I really make a conscious effort not to have my phone around me because I can so easily be pulled out of that interaction if I do have my phone. So I'm pretty good at giving undivided attention to people. Otherwise, there's absolutely no doubt that it will just be going crazy. But that that can wait. I feel like I have this big emphasis on relationships with people at the moment and that's like a real drive for me and my businesses and a point of connection for that, but also me and my friends and my family and it feels really important to honour that with boundaries and like not be on all the time. The phone is just such a 24-7 conduit for doing just unlimited kind of contact hours business, isn't it? Yeah, people can just come on in. I guess in that way it's it's almost empowering though because you, I mean, as addictive as screens can be, you can kind of put it on do not disturb mode if you choose to do it. Yeah. In that way it's kind of maybe a bit empowering. Yeah, it's great. I've learned to like kind of bookend my days a bit and like I don't use the phone before like 8 o'clock in the morning I get up at 5.30 or 6. And then I don't use my phone well, I put it on like sleep mode at 8.30 at night and it uh, means no work can penetrate. <laughs> so, yeah. That's a good way to do it. I think I'm going to start doing the same thing. I, I told you before we started recording that I'd be taking taking notes about little things I can apply to my own life and my own kind of work-life balance. So that's one of the things I'm noting down. It's a forever work in progress. I want to talk a little bit about Apre Studio. Yeah. Was that your first venture into the fashion game or what kind of came first for you in in the fashion world and and why did it start off as you know a career choice for you what why fashion has it always been that for you yeah yep it always has I from a young age I just remember being super obsessed with people's clothing just watching tv in awe of celebrities and what they would wear and how that could allude to a feeling or like they could dress for certain occasions and that would make them feel part of a world. And so I remember just talking to my, I like, my mum was a textiles teacher, but I was kind of like, reject my parents are doing something. I don't want to do what they do, you know, but that was always like lacing everything. But dad was like, if you want to go to this event, what would you wear? Can you draw it for me? And I used to make little outfits and draw them for him. And then all through high school, primary school, I would like design and make my friends and I costumes for everything. And it just always felt really obvious for me. And that is something I was lucky to feel because I feel like a lot of people go through life and they're like, why am I here? What should I do? And I just pursued it pretty tenaciously because it just felt like that was me. I love that it's something that was present from from childhood. You mentioned your mum was a, a textiles teacher. Can you think of any specific moments where it was 
or specific examples of of like a celebrity look that really caught your eye when you were a kid? Like, was there were there any Gwen specific Stefani ones? forever and ever? I love that answer. Thousands I was listening to No Doubt today. Still, <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, she's she's just still super aspirational. I reckon she's awesome. Yeah, she's so cool. I feel like she is a testament. Like her clothing is and her personal style, it doesn't like not everybody fucks with that. But her music is a testament to something good and good design. And when you create something that's relevant still now, then you're a true artist and you're creating something really important. It's and super timeless. She does that. Right. Right. I mean, she she's it's so it's so great you said Gwen Stefani. She's somebody <laughs> I really look up to and just find super so it's super amazing that she still is like as relevant as ever because the celebrity and music world can be super cruel. Totally. And she's just completely defied all of the naysayers, completely defied, you know, people, there's this assumption that, you know, you turn, you turn sort of 45 and suddenly it's all over. Yeah. It's like, that's just such a, it's so wrong. And she's absolutely proving that. Yeah. I also love that she was kind of like staunch feminist in a way before it was, socially acceptable to be so and she was singing um i'm just a girl that's a really like funny lyric to listen to when you're thinking about it from that perspective so i love people who just like fuck it up a little bit have something to say that's maybe going against the way that they're supposed to act or feel was there ever a moment where you didn't quite know how to start a career in fashion like it sounds like it was always something that was in your mind as something you would want to do with your life yeah. but was there ever a moment where it was like how do i actually how how do i actually start this and and how did you end up getting that first step on the road in a in a career in in fashion yeah it was hard to navigate i grew up in a really small country town which was pretty like narrow minded in its way of thinking and in what you should and shouldn't do and shouldn't shouldn't dress like or express yourself so for me I was like get me out of here as soon as I can that was step one (laughs) um I also was exploring different options to study fashion degrees and there are a lot of private colleges around our country that are super inaccessible to people unless they have like a lot of money so I completely ruled that out straight away. I also had an uncle who lectured at one of them and he was like, oh, it's a playpen for rich kids. Don't go there. And I was like, okay, won't do that. Love the honesty. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the only university that I had in my mind that I wanted to study at was UNSW in Sydney. You need an ATAR of 98 to study fashion design and technology. So I also wasn't super studious at school. I only really applied myself when I cared about it. Um, so in my mind, I just ruled that out. And so I was like, okay, cool. What am I working with here? And I started looking at TAFEs and TAFEs all around New South Wales. And yeah, I think I stayed within New South Wales and I found one in Newcastle that I wanted to go and study at. So I studied, um, my degree there and then like begged my favorite brand at the time to give me an internship for a very long time until they said yes. Just broke down the door. Yeah. Did you just, there's there's no better way to kind of get stuff done than make a bit of a pest of yourself. They're like, well, we'll have to give her a go. Yeah. Is that kind of how it worked or am I just well, totally yeah. underselling your efforts? No, no, totally. It was like that. And my dad was like, well, if you want it, just try until you get it. You'll get it. Am I allowed to know the brand? Yeah, it was called, it's called One Teaspoon. Cool. It was kind of 
of the time of um, Sassen Bide. I don't know if you know. I know Sassen like, Bide. You do? Yeah. I, I, I know the name. I couldn't pick clothes out of a lineup, yeah. but like I, I do know it. It had a really cool moment. Um, actually, Gwen Stefani wore a jacket I designed, and that was like a career highlight of mine. Cause Stop. That is, is that still <laughs> a total career highlight? Yeah. Yep. It's pretty up there. I'm sure you've had a few more since, but that's really awesome. That was really cool for me. I was 22, so I was pretty happy. Um, but yeah, I got the job there and worked there for three years, but I worked really hard. I got offered a job out of the internship. Cool. I was an unpaid internship and I was living in Newcastle and traveling to Sydney to do that once a week. But I took on like a three week chunk of working there, like in a row. And I was just like, I'm going to really do this. <laughs> and when I left, the owner called me. She's like, do you want a job? I was like, what doing? She's like, you got to be my designer. And I was like, what? <laughs> Don't you want to interview everyone else? She's like, I haven't even put the job up. She's like, you have the thing. I just know you have the thing where you come and take a job. you got to be in Sydney in two weeks. And I was like, yeah, obviously. Told my boyfriend at the time. We broke up because he's like, you've got to choose me or the job. And I was like, fuck oh, you. He just he couldn't handle the X factor. <laughs> so I peeled out Newcastle, Sydney. Yeah. And then the career started. Did you always have in mind that you wanted to start your own little studio doing your own own stuff? I don't I think I must have because there was no definitive point in time where oh I guess there kind of was. I didn't enter that job thinking I want to own my own brand. I was really like loyal to that brand and I didn't really think about my future outside of that. Um, But there were some pretty, I don't know how much to say. There were some times that were pretty big markers where I was like, oh, I can't say yes to things in this industry that feels so exploitative continuously. And so I was like, this is like a good point in time where I'm not going to allow these things to happen or say yes to these things that I totally disagree with. Um, not only for the environment, but just like on a personal um, respect kind of level. So then I was like, well, I will never ever do this to other people or expect this of other people who work with or for me. And that was kind of like, I can change this and I can inspire other people and not gate gatekeep and try and like inspire change and responsibility moving forward. And that was kind of a marker in time where I was like, the way to do that is by example, I guess. It's identifying <laughs> that that moment and you, oh gee, actually I'd do that a bit differently. And I guess it's, the identification that you would do something differently that means that, you know, and if there's nothing immediately obvious, it's like, oh, I'll just go and work for them because they do it different. You start something up yourself. That's a really kind of, it sounds like a fairly organic progression and yeah. something it was like a little, was it kind of, was it a surprise that you discovered, oh, I kind of want to just DIY this and like just do my own thing? Or was it, did you always have in mind that maybe you'd be working for someone else for forever? Um, I don't know. I never had any idea in my mind. It just happened. I just have this internal thing that 
<laughs> I feel like I really like to prove people wrong, particularly when they underestimate me. And I just kind of wanted to prove to everyone who was doing the right thing that they can and then they can succeed doing it as well. Um, so I kind of wanted to take things matters into my own hands in that regard. Can you tell me a little bit more about how Apparay Studio then came to be? Was that the first iteration of, of doing it yourself? Yeah. I couldn't just like cold hard quit and not have other income streams. So I started this design and production agency with a friend where we were doing uh, design, designing collections and doing production management across India, Indonesia and China for I think it was 50 brands at the time, but I was only doing 19 or 20 of them. It's a lot of brands. Yeah. So I was being a real chameleon, taking on their aesthetic, trying to design to their client and manage all of their production, be their fit model, do everything else while I was doing my brand on the side. But the brand, my brand never really got my full attention until, well, even now I'm split between two, but it took me a long time to kind of cull the rest out. Um, I just love, I just love that it's... um. It's such a, just a uh, kind of a, a dynamic thing where it's, I love that you're still doing two things, you know, it's kind yeah. of cool, a juggling. I'm just learning still, you know, so uh, it's easier to learn with someone else's money. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Take risks as you well. You just cut through a whole lot of noise with that comment. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Describe Apparay Studio for me and describe what it is that you want to do in sustainable fashion like what if i'm buying or if if someone's buying a piece of of apro studio um fashion clothing Mm -hmm. what are they what are they buying what's the the kind of the mission statement i haven't got a really succinct one but it's pretty much pieces of clothing that will withstand testament of time that can grow with or shrink with your body that are really high quality that make you feel confident and powerful when you wear them. And I think that energy translates in every kind of interaction you have with people. And the number one comment I get from my customers, which is really amazing, is, oh my God, I can't believe how many people stop me when I wear this piece of clothing and compliment me. And so many people like, oh my God, I saw this boss bitch across the road wearing one of your coats. She looked amazing and you could like feel her energy from here. And she could tell she felt amazing. And that to me feels like job well done. And at the same time, I'm not doing anything exploitative to the environment and opening up a conversation about that to try and empower people to learn more about um, being a bit more connected with what we're consuming these days. And in my world, that means fashion. It sounds like you've done a little bit of of travel because I guess it's hard to run a, a fashion business without negotiating the onshore versus offshore manufacturing argument. Mm. And it sounds to me like like offshore manufacturing is is something that you would want to tick all the boxes to make sure that the garment is not only sustainable on a on an environmental level but on kind of like an ethical interpersonal human level. Yeah. Would I be right in saying that? Absolutely. So there are globally recognized certifications that cover um, social compliance, ethics of the workers, their rights, insurance, um, no child labor, just like generic human rights. But then they go above and beyond and have um, 
integrated also environmental practices, no dyes, no chemicals. Um, they take full responsibility for any kind of um, waste products that they create and there has to be some kind of circular inbuilt understanding of what they're going to do with that as part of this um, certification they can only work with certain fabrications that are grown under certain circumstances by certain people who are covered to only work certain hours um, it's really comprehensive and so these global certifications have been set up with blockchain technology to kind of track every step and make sure everything that comes into contact with them and their factory has been monitored and so they kind of have taken a huge responsibility to certify that to a global level that's recognized and the same everywhere so you can kind of know if you're working with a factory that might have a rat certificate or bsci certificate or all of these other certificates. I've read them all on your website. I, <laughs> I, I, I read everything on APRA and I was like, oh, that is a lot of certificates to tick. <laughs> I respect it. I love it. Yeah. Well, that kind of takes care of that side of things. And I also have had multiple, multiple visits to all of my manufacturers all the time and I've got a personal relationship with them. So that makes a big difference. And I think as well, if brands aren't advertising that they're certified by these kind of standards, then you can assume that they're doing something dodgy along the line. I think that's probably a safe bet, <laughs> particularly big ones. I feel like there are lots of, um, I was thinking about this on, on the way here to, to chat with you, Meg. It mm. was, I mean, I remember very early on, I might've been in primary school when somebody told me that a particular manufacturer of sneakers used child labor. And I thought that's crook and wild <laughs> and yet it still happens yeah. that was like way back i mean i don't want to exactly reveal how old i am but it was you know 15 20 years ago quite some time ago yeah um and yet we still get these big pr disasters for particularly big brands mm. when you find out that they're doing something wrong and that i feel like it's an ongoing battle an ongoing war that we're kind of having with doing the right thing in the fashion industry and Sometimes it's hard as a consumer to to kind of work out what's what, but you quite literally go through and list everything that you do in an effort to be as sustainable and ethical as possible on your website. So, you know, as a consumer reading your website, it's very clear to me, but it's very unclear with a, a lot of a lot of other brands. Yeah, that's where I think education plays a really big role in things because that empowers people to hold other people accountable or other brands accountable. And I'm not claiming to be perfect by any standard or measure. And the word sustainable in the fashion industry just is um, just the biggest contradiction ever because you're creating carbon whilst ever you're inherently creating a brand new product, even if it is of recycled standard. So we can carbon offset and we can do this and that, but at the end of the day, you could just not do it. So that's something I struggle with a lot of the time as well, like really fulfilling a need or a purpose or creating something that's important that I feel like is filling a gap in the market. Um, but yeah, just being honest. I feel like if you're not creating something honestly and you're not across everything, then it's going to come to light at the end of the day at some point in time and you can't honestly market your product if you don't know what the fuck has happened to it along the line like to me that honesty is felt through the product 
Can you talk me through a vague description of, or a description of what makes uh, an Apre Studio garment sustainable in your eyes? Like what are the key dot points of, of sustainability in, in fashion more broadly via an Apre Studio garment? Okay. That's a hard question. It's a hard one. I'll try my best to be direct. Um, there are two main really like amazing globally recognized certifications for fabrics that cover everything I spoke about before and more. Yeah. I can't access them because I'm a really small brand unless I pay a price that translate to, translates to a retail price that people can't afford. And they would look at the garment and laugh at me and I would, I would get canceled. So I use um, dead stock fabrics for most of my designs if I can't find certified stuff that's left over from other people. Dead stock means other big fashion houses work with these fabrics for a while in certain lines then they might hold on to it for a while so that their product isn't flooding the market via other brands and then they'll sell it to other factories or at certain fabric markets later on and then I purchase that and rework it into something that's our pre studio and because I'm so small I can buy small runs of fabric and use them and I only like manufacturing limited quality quantities so dead stock fabrics limited quantities I don't make swing tags because people throw them out all of my branding is made from recycled nylon um my poly bags at the moment I'm transitioning between compostable because not everybody has access to a compost bin to something that is like a paper so you can recycle it because everybody can recycle like curbside recycling yeah oh that's cool but it's opaque enough for it to meet legislation yeah then stamped in soy based inks so you can less chemicals recycled then all of my mailing satchels are recycled and recyclable my tape is recycled recyclable soy based inks um i think that's it at the moment don't offset my carbon yeah I love the idea of limited run garments that not everybody's going to have. When you walk down the street, it's very unlikely that you'll see somebody wearing the the Apro Studio item that you've bought. I I do love that sense of um, uniqueness about a garment, and yeah. also with a an accessible price point is like that's a that's a cool thing. Mm. It's hard as well though as a business owner. Sometimes it can be a bit limiting because you limit your growth. If something sells out really quickly and it was crazy popular. I can't just go like, let's do a recut because there's none left. True. So it's like inviting and enticing and exciting. And I think that also creates urgency in people purchasing because they know that if they don't purchase now, they might miss out. But also there's a fine line I walk sometimes between it being like feasible on my side and offering it to people at a price that I think is at, depending on where you're at, as accessible as it can be. This might be a hard question to answer, but what what comes first? Accessing a particular batch of dead stock fabric or an idea? Do you have an idea first about a garment you might want to make and then use whatever dead stock comes along to make that garment? Or do you base an idea off the dead stock that is suddenly available, think, oh, that's a a cool color or a pattern or whatever it might be? What what kind of comes first for for you? It's changed for me. I used to design a shape and find a fabric. Now I find a fabric and design a shape because when I first started out, I wasn't using existing fabrics. I would create a shape 
with a fabric in mind and make my manufacturers work with me to try and figure out what we could use together. But now I find the fabric and I'm like, oh, it's really obvious to me that this needs to happen with it. And so I just do that. <laughs> Fashion's a pretty massive pond. Mm. Would you say that sustainability and that sort of sense of uniqueness is the way that you cut through the noise for your for your work with Apro Studio? Yeah, I think so. The whole industry in general right now feels really noisy to me and I find it difficult shutting out the noise because I don't want to add to it. I don't want to be a part of the noise, but it's better the devil you know in some ways. So I try and make things that feel good and feel important and try and tell stories that I would want to be told and want to interact with. Otherwise, it's no from me. So some weeks... I know consistency is the best, but I can't always be consistent because that's not always how I feel. And so creating things that mean something isn't an outcome I can always have unless I'm paying somebody to do it for me. But I just don't want to create things for the sake of creation. I just want to have stuff that's engaging and that people want to listen to where to speak about. Yeah. It would be cool to if suddenly sustainability was, wasn't actually a, a point of difference and wasn't like... Just something that, you know, something. I mean, Apro Studio is obviously not not the only brand around that puts an emphasis on on sustainability and ethics in in fashion. But wouldn't it be cool if one day that was just kind of the norm and everyone could access these certificates and it was all kind of, you know, noted down about ticking various boxes? And do do you see a world where that might be true one day? Yeah, I think a law passed in Europe pretty recently where there's huge legislation change and that's the only real way I think there's going to be great industry reform and Europe's always ahead of us in that regard and if legislation changes there's obviously going to be policies people need to follow laws they need to adhere to and reporting and I think they'll that will kind of eliminate how much greenwashing is going on but also the more people putting pressure on different companies businesses brands fabrics finishes then the more accessible it will be for people at a smaller price point. And I think you don't kind of want to be the person left behind, particularly when you're doing the right thing. So I think everybody kind of needs to band together and find a community effect and put pressure on people in positions of responsibility. I think chatting to you before we started recording, we you might have briefly mentioned the world of sustainable fashion. Is that formalised in any way in Australia? Like is there a a crew of brands that identifies that kind of a thing and do you work together at all? Is there any kind of formal or formalization of that in the Australian context? There's the Australian Fashion Council. I am not super engaged with them, but I like subscribe to all of their email marketing and I do my best to attend some of the talks that they host. Um, that's really informative and a lot of industry heavyweights attend that. And I think if they're making difference and having conversations, then we can all kind of follow suit and understand what's going to happen. But at the same time, a lot of these giants are um, dictated to by investment teams and boards. And so they kind of need to appease them and the bottom line kind of doesn't need to change or they can't really change the outcome in terms of profit. So for them to integrate the change takes a long time. Instead of being a really small business that's growing from the ground up, you can integrate those things into your profit margins to begin with and then 
it's not such a slow process. So I think sometimes it can have its advantages because you can have a really big impact if you're a big player, but also it takes longer to make a change. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, Did you, did you have everything in place before you released a garment? Were you like, these are things I want to achieve. I'm going to have to get my ducks in a row to uh, have this be actually true before I release my first garment. Or were you kind of like, I've got to get some stuff out there. I'll do my absolute best to be as sustainable as possible, but not everything's in place. Probably the latter of the two, to be honest. Yeah. I just wanted to work on one thing that I found was a problem within the industry at a time. And I feel like, honestly, it's really hard for you to have focus across a lot of different points. Mm. And you're never going to be a brand or a business that focuses on social change, that focuses on environmental change um, and all of this intersectionality and do it really well. And for me, it felt important to honor everything that I was aware of, but understand that the conversation and the world and the industry was ever evolving. And for me, sustainability was the core of what I was creating, but I was still learning. I launched the brand when I was 25 and still like my brain at that point in time was so different to my brain now. (laughs) So I was doing the best that I could with the tools that I had and that's still a process that I'm working on now. I guess it's kind of like, I mean, hearing that hearing that answer, it's kind of unrealistic that you would have had absolutely everything nailed, particularly given it's an ongoing conversation yeah. before releasing a single garment. Like it, there are certain realities at play, like financial and otherwise, that, yeah, it makes sense that you took that approach of getting some stuff out there, addressing key sustainability issues, yeah. um, but before releasing some stuff as well. But yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Can you tell me how your work as creative director at Newform came about? They kind of maybe, I, I had a little chat with Anthony. They kind of <laughs> spotted what you were doing with Apro Studio and yeah. liked, liked what they saw. Is that an accurate yeah. representation? It was a LinkedIn link up. Oh, I and love I that. I don't really fuck with LinkedIn. Like I never update it and I don't spend much time on the platform. It just feels like another um, platform to create posts and whatever. Just Do another post one, hey? on there. The listeners, the, the the staff at LinkedIn are listening. They're like, the system works. It's oh. like the first story of the system working. No, like <laughs> you, you really hear it. You really hear it. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, it's it's important. It's a necessary evil. Um, a lot of the time now in business and connecting people who are like-minded and to me it feels important to like work together. I mean, here we are now having this conversation. For sure. Um. But yeah, we had a conversation. They engaged me. They wanted to create the world's most responsible activewear brand. And I was like, all right, I'm listening (laughs) because I was pretty apprehensive to take on any other work. I was going to just do my brand for once, you know? So I was like, oh, am I doing something stupid here? I'd already made my mind up. But then they let me know a little more about the purpose of it and that they could insight great change within the industry for a lot of other brands not just that brand because I didn't want to create another thing in a market that felt heavily saturated already and so I was like okay cool but if we're doing it we're really doing it and like I'm not fucking around or compromising or cutting corners and they were just laughing at me but I was like no really and I think now they understand that I was not messing about when I was talking to them because at the end of the day, they're still business owners and I don't own new form, but they, they understood that this was a huge space that was going to change in the industry. And they kind of wanted to be first 
like the Patagonia of the activewear, if you will. Um, but costs a lot of money and it takes a bit of time. So we'll I guess see. there's like, <laughs> you know, with activewear, there's certain things you need to have, you know, flexibility, movability. Mm. Um, it's got to be comfortable, mm. um, machine washable, maybe. Yeah. All these things that you have to kind of account for with activewear. And you think activewear, it's like, oh, it's all been done before. That's my, I was like, activewear, it's like, but somehow I looked on the, I looked on the, the Instagram page and all I saw was like, actually, this is pretty innovative. Mm. It's like really interesting shapes, cuts, stuff I hadn't seen before, heavy cotton, mm. the washability factor as well. Like, I'm, I think I might have even seen an explicit reference to like, you, you can use this a lot of times and wash this a lot of times before it kind of falls apart has a has a garment fallen apart yet <laughs> no not fallen apart yet <laughs> we're so too good. young we're not we're, we just turned one the other day so very young brand but we kind of implemented a lot of things like education on how to wash a garment but also a wash bag to stop wear and tear in the washing machine capture microfibers that garments shed every time you wash them so they don't go into the hydrosphere i found that so cool yeah, there's a lot of things that are really huge and they will make your garments last a long time. But I also tried to design them with wearing outside of working out in mind. So it's got two times its use, three times its use, four times its use. So you're not just wearing it to sweat in and go to the gym in because to me, you then need to own another piece of clothing for a different purpose. And I wanted it to be multi-purpose so you can own one thing, own less shit essentially buy less things you can wear it on your sundays off yes yes does it double as uh, i mean the stuff looks super comfortable does it double as loungewear does it double it obviously doubles as fashion because it like, it looks you great want with it i mean i wear stuff to sweat in like really high intensity workouts but then i'll wear it with a blazer and go to work or i will wear it on a sunday when i'm just taking my time Phone and that off. feels good too <laughs> totally and I don't know. I can give it to my mum and dad and they would wear it. I can give it to my sisters who are um, both health practitioners. They'll wear it teaching and in their world. I can give it to my most stylish friend. I can give it to my friend who doesn't give a fuck about sustainability. It's, I feel like a really broad uh, brand and it speaks to a broad market, but that can also be difficult at times because if a brand feels too broad, you just feel a bit uncatered for. You know that feeling where you're like, oh my God, they just get me. Yes. People want to feel like that. People want to feel special. It's so hard to find. It's hard to find. I imagine harder to create yeah. as well. Yeah. It takes time to acquire each customer. You kind of need to focus on one customer at a time. And then over time realize that they'll come on board. The values are there. The key values. Was the pop-up shop that you referenced earlier the the new form pop-up shop that I saw a, a video of? Yeah. Has it? Is it still popped up? Is it still going? It's popped down now. It's popped down. We shut the club down. How'd the bricks and mortar experiment go? Was it was it kind of an experiment just to like see how it kind of went down, or was it kind of something maybe just testing the waters for something a bit more permanent? Yeah, we're not sure at the moment. I try and take some semi-calculated risks for the brand just to kind of see where we sit, how it's received. And for me, particularly active wear, um, just any clothing really in general, I feel like it's really important to touch and try and feel and, and see. 
for me, it was important for people to be able to try to get their fit and see what proportions and sizing matched up. Feel the garments. They feel amazing. Like the fabrics are really, really high quality. And the hand feel was something I focused on for a really long time. So you don't look at it and be like, oh, I don't want to wear that. I know I look good in it, but it doesn't feel good. I wanted it to feel good. So we got custom blends of fabrics made just so that they feel that way, but also have the other properties of like longevity, wearability, sweat wicking, four-way stretch, blah, blah, blah. So the pop-up shop was that experience for people, but also just connecting with us and having a conversation and um, telling one another stories unrelated to buying products and just... For me, bricks and mortar experience feels really important in the city at the moment, just after having a long time of disconnection. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And then I just realized, don't open a retail shop outside of Friday, Saturday and Sunday, pretty much. Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday were really busy. The start of the week, everybody's just trying to get back on track again. They're kind of like linear in their way of thinking, swiping everything else. Like they're not going to go perusing in a pop-up shop on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, even Thursday sometimes. So any advice out there for people? Isn't that so funny that it's just like, we've just basically said that humans are in a permanent state of recalibration. It's like, you're actually never calibrated. It's like maybe Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but. (laughs) That's adulthood in a nutshell. I feel like I'm perpetually tired. In terms of your like week to week experience, Mm. what's your rough like is your role as creative director at new form full-time yeah yeah so and then you kind of do apro studio stuff kind of outside that time yeah that's a tough gig yeah how do you juggle how do you actually manage to do that well i'm pretty staunch on spending my i spend i do 10 to 6 because i like the mornings to myself and exercise and whatever mm-hmm. 10 to 6 ish for new form yep and then outside of those hours i do my own work Um, so I work a lot in the evenings and I get up really early and then on Saturdays I do a bit of work too for Apre. Um, and then I pay a friend to pack my orders for me because I don't have time and yeah, that's the week. My dad always says, it was like the first, one of the first things he told me, he said, if you want something done, give the task to a busy person. I feel like I'm getting you on the, you're getting, you're going to be in my like close contacts i'm gonna be like calling you to get stuff done because you sound busy but like you actually get it done yeah i mean i i'm gonna clear some space next year for some more fun because at the moment i feel like i'm not being as fun as i or have not having as much fun as i could be i usually have a lot of fun no matter what i'm doing even if i'm working i try and approach it with some playfulness but i want time and space to like have a break and time to explore and like a bit of time for nothing (laughs) and for things to happen in that space of being a child again, you know? Does fun breed creativity for you? Or do you find that you need, or you prefer to be in the work zone to, to have that creativity kind of happen? I feel like it's all the time. This is always. That's a blessing. That's a great thing. Yeah. Can't stop the creativity. Too many ideas. (laughs) It's like, that's a really good problem to have. (laughs) Is this different modes of creativity for me? Like if I'm not creating clues, I'm I'm like painting things in my house or creating meals and I don't like following a recipe for that because I like to 
change it up and figure it out how it could be magic outside of the way people tell you to, you know? I'm so recipe bound. I'm a shocker. Are you? Yeah. My um, my partner, Jade, is like very much off book when it comes to cooking and we cook a lot of stuff together and yeah. I love to be in the kitchen and like, do you know, carry my weight in that regard and we share the task with our housemates and like everyone's going to the kitchen, but I'm like, but what does the recipe say? <laughs> Yeah. Got to throw out the I'm books. too bound in other ways in my life. We got to have some room for like being a little fairy, doing whatever feels good. Bit of dust here, bit of dust there. Make it all magic. Add that to the notes that I'm taking out of this experience and this be interview, Meg. I just really need to be more, more sparkle. of a fairy. I mean, we just discussed my um, penchant for, for sequins. I know you love sequins, <laughs> but I love sequins. I think I just need, maybe I could symbolize my movement towards, you know, work-life balance with some kind of sequined garment. I think that maybe that's the... Maybe try cooking in a sequined garment and see what happens. Without a recipe. Exactly. Huge. Yeah. And not just a sandwich, like a proper meal. Maybe a couple of disco lights <laughs> really turn up. Bit I don't of BGs. know if you're cooking yet. You're definitely having a drink while you're doing it, though. Yeah. No, I feel like that's that's the key to, like, off-book recipe success. Yeah, BGs and, like, and a beverage of some variety. Amazing. Maybe Prosecco, a little bit of Anthony's signature Prosecco. Pinot Noir. Yeah, so good. <laughs> Every day's a celebration, Meg. <laughs> that sounded really grim. Like, if you account for all my commentary about, like, this being a wild time of year, it's like, every day's a celebration. It really sound, came off that way, didn't it? Crawl into the edge with your Prosecco and your sequins. Get me into this party season already. I know I'm falling short on the vibe front, but, gee, I look the part. <laughs> <laughs> the rest makes up for it, right? Shit, maybe that's my personal brand. It's like, gee, that guy looks like he has a good time. And then, like, the internal monologue is like, this could not be worse. <laughs> You get away with it, though. I feel like it's like that cartoon Daria. Did you ever watch Daria? I've got it on DVD. I mean, showing my age, but... (laughs) Absolutely. Love Daria. Yeah, that's a Daria mood. Except I don't think Daria would fuck with the sequins. She's very external, internal. She's forest green, earth brown kind of mixes of those two, hey? Big bangs hide most of my face. (laughs) Dark olive burgundy maximum. (laughs) You mentioned a lot of different people that you interact with on a, a daily basis. Mm. How collaborative is your, I mean, it will be different for Newform as opposed to Apre, mm. but how collaborative is your process of actually creating a, a design or an idea for a garment? I don't really collaborate with anyone else for that, that stuff. Sometimes I ask my friends who have got a bit of a more norm core aesthetic than me it's very polite (laughs) whether they would like more commercial idea of what fashion is yeah whether they would buy the garment if they would and if they wouldn't and why and why not yeah what they'd change about it and kind of pull a bit of idea from everybody but i don't do it that often because in my mind the most successful signature brands i'm all about collaborations by the way but just when i'm doing something alone for my brand i do it on my own um They've got a really poignant style and you can tell straight away whose brand it is because it becomes a signature of theirs. And if I start diluting it to try and sell things that like a bottom line oriented, I feel like it will just fuck it all up. So I'm pretty instinctual with things and I usually know what I think will sell really well before I launch it, but I don't necessarily do it because of that. A lot of the time I self-sabotage and I'm like, this feels important the collection would feel shocking and not rounded if I didn't put this in there. 
So I'm going to put it in, even though I think not many people will be able to pull it off. But it's in there because it's it's sort of a reflection of, of you and what you want to achieve and create, I guess, hey? Yeah. I just don't want anybody to feel like they can't wear something or that they can't pull something off. And obviously people are going to want to wear things in different ways or they're not going to feel confident in certain ways. But for me, there's so much power in how you dress. So I want to make sure everybody feels at home. How do you approach, you just sort of piqued a little interest in this idea. Like, How do you work with sizing and appealing to like a broad range of, of body types and, mm. um, you know, gender identities and where does that play? Do you try and make, I mean, everything in my opinion in clothing is unisex. Mm. Anyone can wear anything that mm. makes them feel like who they are and feel comfortable and confident. But yeah. what's your thinking around that? Not necessarily um, in terms of unisex nature of clothing, but in terms of sizing particularly. Sizing's a tough one, definitely, because with like Australian standard sizing, they reference gender, um, which references certain like body types or proportions, say. This also like goes across to new form as well. When we were trying to figure out how to launch a collection, we were like, well, we don't want to make reference to gender. Yeah. But it's really hard from a shopping or a consumer's point of view to navigate what the fuck they're looking at. If you've got an image of a piece of clothing with no one wearing it and then someone wearing it and then someone else wearing it. And then they're like, ah, it's like abstract. It's hard. So we did for new form. We had have two categories. We have mask and femme, Mm -hmm. just alluding to those kind of archetypes of body shape. Um, And then a size chart to help people understand that proportion as well. But then upray, I just have small, extra small to extra large. And then I've got a size chart online as well. I don't make reference to gender at all. People wear whatever they want. If they've got sizing questions that aren't covered in the description, I always encourage people to email me or message me. And because I have such a small brand and I've got a pretty good hold on things, I can always custom make things for people who don't feel like their proportions are catered to. But that being said, I feel I can't do it all but I feel bad that they have to go out of their way to be catered to. It's a shame that I'd like to do better at, but it's really impossible to be good to the environment, make a feasible piece of clothing, make for one person an item of clothing that they might not even like in the first place. It's just like step by step by step. And the more you grow, the more you can do. I like that the the terms mask and femme are so cool because at no point does it say, men and women mm. it's sort of you know it, it it's much more yeah accessible um and inclusive it's cool mm. i noticed that straight away on the website i was like oh where do i go i was like oh i guess i kind of fit under mask oh but and you can kind of yeah pick where you fit in and mm. and go from there that alludes again to like that whole re-education process around consuming fashion fashion because people are so um conditioned to shop with this like understanding of what a gender is or what that those confines look like or feel like and i feel like that can be quite um disempowering probably for a lot of people in society so particularly small brands i just love seeing it getting torn to shreds (laughs) you can wear whatever the hell you want fully to me that is so important i don't care what you identify as 
as long as you feel good, power to you, hon. <laughs> it's really great. Um, you, you, we spoke a little bit about collaborations mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily part of your individual creative process, but uh, a collaboration is something that you like to do and would like to do more of. Are there any big ones we can look for in the in the future, be it new form or, or apre? For new form, we haven't talked about any collaborations of, of such yet. I feel like we're just still trying to navigate who our customer base is, where they are and teach people about the brand and then the ethos and the values. 100% want to do collaborations with people and we're so open to conversations, but I feel like they need to happen kind of organically. I don't mm. want to go chasing after something that just isn't reciprocated, I guess, by whoever we're engaging on the other side. We'll get there, but I feel like when we want to do it, we want to do it really well. So I'll take time in that way. For Apre, I've done a collaboration with a friend of mine who um, is amazing. She has her own brand as well, and that went really, really well. And it was so good. Conquer and Divide, everything was amazing. And it's interesting just, like, finding new customers who really fuck with what they create. And, like, you all become big friends, really. So it was great. What was that collaboration, can I ask? Uh, a, a Melbourne-based brand and friend called Katarina Lou. We created a three-piece collection together and then furthered that with another dress that we worked on for a long time as well. She was, She's from Sydney. She actually went to school with a cousin of mine and she moved to Melbourne and I was like, come over, let's be friends. And then we're like, we should do a collaboration. And she was just kind of new in, in Melbourne at the time. And it felt like a nice, easy thing to do. And I loved a lot of what she was doing and vice versa. So we did the damn thing. (laughs) Bit of mutual learning, kind of pick things you liked about each other and kind of, I guess, maybe you could apply that in the future to to different things. Hey, yeah, the beauty of collaboration. Yeah, yeah. Were they true hybrids, the the garments? Were they like, wowee, that's like pretty much a direct cross-section or was it like you two worked on a worked on items that kind of more reflected one or other of your brands? How'd they actually, the end product look? At the start, it felt more like um, aesthetically a bit more like my brand, just because there's this one technique I carry through a lot of my collections that we've been working on, but not to say she wasn't involved in the whole entire process. The last thing we collaborated on together was more her aesthetic with like touches of me. So it felt like we shared that aesthetic um, responsibility, I guess, in a way. But we've got lots of crossovers in the way that we dress and the way that we market ourselves, although the brands are really different. So it was fun to create something that felt like both. That common thread you referenced that sort of travels a little bit through your garments and your collections, Mm. are you comfortable going into what that is is it kind of your signature or is it like a, a bit of a an industry secret or is it uh, no secrets no, no let's let's hear about it i'd love to hear about the would you describe it as your like one of your signatures yeah i've got this i've loved it since i was little this technique of ruching that goes across the body of a garment where it's like rows of elastic sewn rows and rows and rows and it means that the garment's super flexible in sizing which means it can fit across different proportions and curves really well and people shrink and grow in size all the time. So it means you can own it for longer, wear it for longer. 
And also it just helps with catering to different people's sizing easier. Um, and it looks really cute and beautiful. And I think it really um, defines people's beautiful features as well. Everybody's responded really well to that kind of technique. So I carry it through a lot of my clothing and it just makes people's dressing easier, I think. Yeah. There's not really a name for it, is it? A ruching? That's yeah, a new term. I hadn't heard ruching. Or you can use the word <coughs> shirring as well. That's the same thing. Say it again. Shirring. Shirring. Yeah. <laughs> now that I've, it I can actually like see it. It's like fabric gathered in by an elastic thread. So, like when you pull it out and expand it and you let go again, it bounces back in. And that's cool that it is part of what makes it, you know, wearable between sizes. Love that. Yeah. I remember this one dress I designed with when I was a little girl. My mum was like, you can have whatever you want. We'll make it together as your birthday present. So I guess she was pretty influential <laughs> in that world. But she it was this like boob tube dress that had all of that sharing elastic on the top and then a really big bubble hem on the bottom. And it was made from this bright citrus fruits print of like limes and lemons together. And it's so important to me and it feels nostalgic to reinterpret that thing into something I'm doing now. Yeah. Do you picture specific people in your garments when you're designing them or do you kind of just think garment only? I think garment only. And then it's important for people to picture themselves in it. But I don't design with one certain person in mind. If people feel attached and tied to it, and like it might make them feel something that feels good, then I think they should buy it. If you had your marketing hat on, are you constantly thinking about how maybe a garment could be marketed and, and how you could shape a campaign around a specific thing that you've designed? Yeah, I always think about how wearable it is for as many people as possible. And then making that as financially accessible for as many people as possible without making any compromises on like environment and quality and quantity and things like that. But then I try and have fun with my campaign because I do all that hard work before and I don't want it to feel sterile and shit later. So I just try and have fun and like capture people doing normal shit looking really good. <laughs> do you have i mean i feel like gwen stefani we're not allowed to say gwen stefani but if you could have you know no. any particular <laughs> she's assumed <laughs> it's assumed that she would be the answer to this question after the discussion we've just had mm -hmm. but uh, do you ever think oh gee i'd love to work with that particular or with a particular individual or, or a group is there somebody in, you would love to work with in the future and just think oh maybe it's a pipe dream but maybe not mm. Gosh, I can't remember her name. So important. <laughs> <laughs> Critical. It's, she's this really, really, really super, super, super stylish person. And she is really influential on social media, but she also hand knits her own garments and they're crazy cool. I think her name's Lydia something. Um, Lydia, if you're listening, Lydia, reach out. <laughs> What's <laughs> your <me>. name? <laughs> Oh, I'm we love your to work. look because, yeah, she's really, really, really cool. And she's got her real, like, own definitive, real personal sense of style. And she just sprays it everywhere and it feels good. Not in a forceful way, 
She's like her, she's created this whole world. Like her apartment feels like part of it. Her designs feel like part of it. How she wears and expresses herself feels like part of it. And you can't put it into a box of words because she's just doing the thing and she's doing it really well. It's the full picture. It's the full picture. The whole package. Yeah. Lydia. We're going to have to work out who Lydia is. I love that because people try and make themselves palatable and I don't, I want people to feel like they can show up however they want. And I feel like she does that really well. It's also very cool that you said Lydia from social media can't quite remember her name and not like Miley Cyrus <laughs> or, you know, like Elvis Presley. Or... Yeah. She's got like a lot of people who follow her, but I fucking don't know what her name is anymore at this moment. In that time. actually could be a really good sign, to be honest. And she sounds very approachable. It yeah. could be a thing that could, could be made to happen for sure. Yeah. I DM her along with everybody else. Yeah. How's it going, hon? <laughs> There's yeah. a good way to, like, I mean, there's LinkedIn and then there's the Insta DM. I feel like there's a, I don't know, inherent kind of, like, casual warmness to receiving a, you know, respectful, um, you know, work-related DM. It's cool. Yeah. Hey, I love your work. Looping back to TikTok, though, I feel like that is actually a better platform to connect with someone on these days because you're putting your creative work out there and you can't contact them unless they've engaged with you. So if they really follow you in your work, like you might watch their videos or like comment on them or like them and then they'll go, oh, what is this Opera Studio thing? And if they love it and they feel like that aligns with them, then they'll follow you and then you can engage. But it feels far less saturated because it's a harder process. Yes. You can't just like slide into someone's DM. They have or to choose to like to get in touch. It's like the bumble of influencing. That is, you've taken the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> that's I was genuinely just thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. Innovative. That's cool. Yeah. I didn't realize that about TikTok. Again. Maybe did I to the other week. I was like, what is this platform? I should get involved. Yeah. There's a whole other game. I want to talk a little bit about what the future might hold. Mm. What does what 2023 look like for Meg Wilcher? Yep. Good question. Be that new form, be that apparatus, be that you as... On an individual level, we've talked about work-life balance. Mm-hmm. What is what's something we can look forward to seeing in in twenty twenty three from you? I'm turning thirty in February, and I'm really excited about it. Are you an Aquarius? Yes, I am. Me too. Wiggle, wiggle, baby. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nice. I feel like I should have known. Yeah, <laughs> I picked up on that. We've got a certain something about us. It's not the seventeenth, is it? No, it's the eleventh, but we're very close. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to do that because I just feel like I'm improving on everything I know and the work that I'm creating as a creative person the older I get. So I'm really excited to get a bit older and party with my friends. And I feel like that's a really important one for people to show up for. So I can just be like, yeah, guys, let's do it. (laughs) And I might have a break from Opre. I've been thinking about it. What's Just, this space? This is like the only time I've spoken about this outside of my friendship circle. But I might just take a little bit of time off because every season is such a big financial and time investment. And at the moment, I feel like if one's doing really well, the other one suffers and I can't do both really well. And that's kind of, and it's unsustainable, the amount of work I'm doing. So... I'm just going to take a little bit of a break, I think. And I think that's going to be from Opre because just not having the constant pressure of having a brand and running a brand always like 
top lining every thought and action that I do will be such a holiday and haven't felt like that since yeah I was 25 so I feel like even my holidays I've been working all the time you know so I'm gonna do some holidaying for real next year might take myself to Europe come through me that's awesome yeah and new form's really gonna take center stage for a bit I'll come back with a vengeance and a lot of learnings, I think, but it's important just to take a bit of time, I think. A break could be really cool for for Apre. Yeah, I think so. And come back bigger and better than ever. Yeah. I just need some time to not be reactive or responsive and to be proactive and creative and just let ideas run full circle for a bit. Spend a bit more time in that Friday to Sunday mindset. Fully. The calibrated mindset recalibration a lot of time with beach and sun i'm feeling do you know where overseas within australia i'll do a bit in australia i've got lots of friends everywhere because i've moved around my whole life but europe i haven't spent that much time in and i'd like to go maybe like spain france portugal italy here's to that (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think i'm gonna have to take that same advice There's a reason rest is important. I think perspective is really important too. Meg Wilter, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the uh, conversation studio, office, open plan work setting. It's been really fun. Thanks so much for chatting with me. Thanks for having me and thank you for both of your time. Pleasure. Stay up to date with everything our conversations via our social media platforms at rsport double underscore on the gram or via the website www.r-sportswear.com.